Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, I'm going to touch Judges 11 for just a moment if you want to turn there while I get situated. Hope you've had a good week. I've done my very best to run off most of these people in here over, what, four weeks or five weeks? I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, it's always good to have uh, Harold and Sally here. Um, I was thinking a while ago, sitting there, and I, this hasn't occurred to me in years, but so for 20 years, I preached in Waco, and I, Texas, and I remember going through this period where my sermons were just longer than I intended. <laughs> it's not that I planned it that way. It, they were just longer than I intended. And I'm listening to a few other people who, who are just kind of known for saying a lot in a more compacted period of time. I started listening to Harold. I thought, how is he saying so much in this short amount of time? And I am just, anyway, I thought, I've got a lot to learn, and I have the greatest respect for both of you. Glad you're here. Um, we've spent, uh, what, four weeks? I was out one week, uh, and Alan graciously took this class, but we've spent four weeks looking at uh, God's grace and, and messy families. The Bible is just full of messy situations, messy families. And uh, the, the reason I, I did that, uh, two reasons, I guess. Our own family is messy. Um, on, my, on my side of the family, we've got uh, one family member that had a long history of drug addiction. And that has that had impact had impacted uh, a marriage that impacted my mom and dad. It certainly impacted all of us. Uh, had to learn a lot about that. Um, we've had divorce in our family, uh, both in terms of my siblings, in terms of one of my daughters. And so this is not theory for me. This is this is kind of where I live, trying to figure out. Uh, how do you navigate life? How do you love your family and love your people uh, when it, it's just pretty rocky at times? Now, some of you, your lives may be sort of an easy chair chapter and don't let me discourage you at all. And yours, I mean, you may go to the grave and it's just kind of that way for you. God bless you, wonderful. Uh, I, I think there are a whole lot of us though that we've either come out of a rough chapter or we're headed into a rough chapter. Uh, unfortunately, you don't always know what you're headed into. But uh, anyway, I hope, I hope this has been helpful a little bit. And if not, uh, maybe tonight will a little bit. Uh, what I'd like to do is kind of close this out. Um, one of the things I've I always struggled with in a series, whether it was teaching or preaching, was uh, taking off and landing the plane. I can fly all day long, but so I'm, I'm trying to land tonight. I'm trying to kind of wrap this up. And so uh, if, it, if, if this seems like, you know, you think, boy, this is kind of whatever. Yeah, that's right. It's choppy. So, but we'll land eventually, hopefully, uh, before, the out, before the time's up. There was this woman, I think her name, I'm, I'm going to have to read this one, Ad Ad Adelaide Yano. She was 69 years old. She lived in Chicago working full time for the U.S. court system. 
And what she did was edit court documents all day long. And she said, I love my work. On her desk was this little sign that said, getting older and more magnificent. <laughs> that's the way some of us, some of us get to be old and that's the way it kind of feels for some of us. Man, it's just so good to some of y'all use the word retire and you, you know, it's, it's so good to kind of do what I want to do. So good to, you know, get an extra wide recliner and whatever it is. So good to uh, all, all that. And there's some of us who are like that. There, there are others of us. Um, magnificent would not be the word we would use to describe what we're the, where, we're, where we feel like we're headed. It'd be just absolute survival. This story, I want to read you just a portion of this story, and we're not going to get into this tonight like we did Bathsheba or Leah. Uh, I'm trying to think of what we did. I guess it was Adam and Eve the first week. Not going to get into it, but I want you to just get a taste for another one of these, these stories in the Bible. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1 of Judges, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. That sounds good. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you're the son of another woman. Well, isn't this appropriate for Bible class? So we got this situation where this guy's a mighty warrior. It sounds, you know, we've, we've read that before in our Bibles. Uh, it's, here's his father, but his mother's a prostitute. His father's married, got these kids, and they're all in this one house. And the other kids say, uh, basically, uh, I hope you're not thinking about a bright future in terms of inheritance because you're not one of us. And then the story just gets darker and darker as he's got this daughter and he makes this rash promise and we won't get into it tonight. But I mean, this is one, this is just another one of these stories. And what some of us have learned just from, from life is that some of us have lived a pretty good G-rated life. You know, we can tell all about our people and it's okay and bring in the little kids. And, and, and then some of us, we're having to go, and when I tell you about my cousin, I, I wish you'd get the little ones out if I'm gonna have to tell you the, de the detail. They're, they're just, and then when you start looking at the church, this lady comes in one day, for real, I, I'm in Waco, she comes in one day and she is the wife of one of our elders. And she says, I feel like I need to apologize. I said, why do you need to apologize? Well, our church has problems. I'm not sure you knew that coming in. <laughs> and, and, and then she started talking about somebody left somebody or somebody's running around on somebody. And I said, ma'am, when I, when I came in, I just assumed it was a mess because all these churches are like this. It's just that some of us don't realize it. There is mess everywhere. That's, bro that's the broken world. There is mess everywhere. Now, not everybody is a mess like, I get that, 
but there, there, there's, enough, there's a lot of mess. What I'd like to do tonight is to think in terms of not, not so much another, another character like Jephthah or Leah or Bathsheba, the people we, we could look at if this class were to go on and on, but I want us to think a little bit more about what uh, I think uh, a lot of uh, good folks who brush their teeth and show up on Wednesday night are, are, are liable to deal with. And uh, it's still a mess. It's just sort of a cleaned up version in our eyes. So we're going to look at two texts in the New Testament eventually, but walk with me through this first. Um, one, of the, one of the dead end streets that a lot of us, uh, that a lot of us have traveled down is, is, is this, this performance trap. That surely there is a way to live to just live this kind of life that is so good and so right and so, uh, you know, if I could just be a certain kind of person, it would all be great. And, and that, sounds, that sounds pretty noble, you know? We're called to pursue righteousness. I mean, that's, that sounds pretty noble, noble. But there is a view of that that really is a dead-end street. It, it, it's, no, you're not dealing with being the, being the son of a prostitute like Jephthah, you're not dealing with Bathsheba and being kicked to the curb. You're not, it's not that. This kind of thing is, is what goes on in a, in a lot of our heads, maybe not you, but in a lot of our heads, and it's just, it's what someone's called the performance trap. And it's basically goes something like this. There's got to be a way to perform our way to a better life. Remember the woman, I, her daughter uh, was telling me about this. She and her husband were in my office one day and she said, I just dread it when my mother visits us. I never measure up. Something is always wrong. My mother will take her finger and drape it across the top of our refrigerator and show me, you know, a little closer cleaning would help. It's just always something. In my mother's eyes, she said, I, I just don't, I'm just not quite there. And she said, since I was a young girl, I have been trying to somehow live up to this and I just can't do it. I said in a meeting one night, where an, where an elder was upset over the choice of grass that our maintenance guy had chosen for the lawn outside. Because in his mind, um, everything needs to be near perfection or what's the use in doing it? Every class ought to be perfect. Every sermon ought to be perfect. Every meeting ought to be smooth and perfect or it falls short. One night we're in line in, and uh, it's, it's the church meal, Wednesday night church meal. You know how those things are. They're generally cheap and they're generally done by volunteers unless you get the thing catered in. But, but they, they, they got to the, you know, they're walking through the line and, and, and this guy walks in and they're out of green beans. And he looks at these volunteers and he says, how 
could we be out of green beans? Can we not plan any better than this? And, and there, there are people like that in churches and in life where you, you, you get around them and you feel less than. Does that make any sense? You just feel less than, that in some way you're not there. Um, here's four deadly traits of performance living. Uh, and, and one is just the self-imprisonment of the ought. The self-imprisonment of the ought. We ought to, what do we ought to do, by the way? Can y'all can y'all do this with me? Surely we surely we can do oughts. What do we ought to do? Quit on time. We ought to quit on time. <laughs> and Harold will help me in here. We ought to quit on time. Yes, what should we do? We ought to what? We ought to start on time. Rance could have helped me. <laughs> what else? We ought to what? We ought to be on time. Y'all are just full of time. We, we, we on time. I remember one night being in this meeting and someone was baptized. Does that sound like a good thing for a people who have a high view of baptism? Absolutely. You know what the response was? We ought to have more. We just ought to have more. Well, we couldn't celebrate the one because we ought to, it's, it's, we're, we're, everything is ratcheted up. Self-imprisoned by the tyranny, the ought. I, I, I got up this morning and I prayed and I read my Bible. I should have been doing this all along. I know I ought to, and just on and on. And so there, there are some people, you know, that, that when it comes to performance, there's never a there's rarely a time for celebration because we could have been doing more. Here's another one. Some of us, some of us are just imprisoned by, by self-deprecation. Well, that was a, that was a very, I appreciate that prayer. Oh, I, I wasn't prepared. And I just kind of said that at the last minute and had one standing on one leg and just you people do that. And, and it's a good sermon. Well, you know, I didn't got missed a story and just self-deprecation that that there's just it, it, it's I'm never quite enough. I'm and and maybe you know what it's like to just beat yourself up. I was talking with a young minister not long ago. And he, just, he described his routine. He said, I preach on Sunday and then I listen to myself in, the, in a video hours later and critique myself. And he said, I've been doing this for over a decade. Now, there's, there's a way to do that where that could be good. It could be healthy, you know. But on the other hand, you can just whip yourself into a frenzy over every mistake and every blunder that you make. How many blunders y'all make a day? How many does your spouse make? Maybe that's an easier start. How many blunders? Do you, do you make a lot of blunders to some of us? Okay, we've got some very slight nods. Some of us make, a, you just say the wrong thing. I say the wrong thing to Charlotte. It just tumbles out all wrong and I want to get it back. And sometimes it's too late. Um, the, the, the truth is we 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 met. But there's just a way to just beat the living daylights out of yourself. Now, you know, when we when you talk about performance, yeah, you can you can you, there's there's a way 
for this just to be nothing more than a dead end street. Look at this one. The self glorification. This this can just be almost embarrassing at times. Self glorification. This guy came up to me at church one day and uh, he was upset. I, I, I had suggested we call an electrician about something. I don't know, something wasn't working. I said, why don't y'all call an electrician? He said, you don't know who I am. I, I said, who are you? And he said, I know more about electric electricity than most any electrician you'll ever find. And he went into his resume. You ever, you ever seen that before? What does it mean to, 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 to when you think of self-glorification, what comes to mind? My pride, I want you to know what? I want you to know how good, I want you to know how worthwhile I am. I was talking to this young minister one day and he brought up the name of this person and I thought, I know this guy. And he said, wow, I wish I, I just kept, he just kept talking. I wish I could know this guy and, and he seems great and I've read his books. And, and the, I, there was something in me that wanted to say, buddy, I knew this guy while you were still in puberty. I mean, I knew this guy when you were just, and see that it wasn't information. It was my pride. I was wanting to tell him, I'm so far ahead of you. And by the way, that's not godly, is it? So how about this one? Self-imposed rules. All this just, all this, our, our tra Here, here's one little guys. No kicking, no pinching, no biting, no calling names, no spitting, no sneezing on people. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was a ministry staff or an elder group that came up with that, but that was a good start. Some of our self-imposed rules are what? Would be what? I, I must <laughs> I must quit on time. And the longer Harold sits in this class, the more certain he is with conviction about that one. The I must quit on time. One of one of my self-imposed rules may be I must not fail in front of other people where they can see me look foolish. I will make excuses if I fail. I will blame someone. I will blame the sound guy. There's no sound guy back there, but I will blame the sound guy or I'll, I'll I, I'm, that may be a self-imposed rule. Self-imposed rule may be something like this. I, I will, I, I, I must always win. I must not for any reason look like I'm coming in second and third place. You know any self-imposed, don't, you don't have to get personal. You can just think about other people if you want. The self-imposed rules other people seem to have, what would you say? Everything's gotta be just right. Don't talk about coworkers. That may be a good self-imposed rule. Uh, I, know, I know some people who kind of live with the self-imposed rule of I must be the center of attention. And if I walk into a room and you're talking to someone that I want there, where I want their attention, I will interrupt. I will do that. Now look for a moment at, let's just, these two texts are so familiar, but look again at, at, at Ephesians 2, if you would. Ephesians 2. And you know, one 
of the things that's occurred to me, maybe, maybe uh, you're kind of way on beyond this. Um, I, think, I think a while back, I kind of wrestled a lot with Ephesians too. I think a while back, I kind of wrestled a lot in terms of my own thinking and my own life with the grace of God, maybe. I think a while back, I mean, I know I've preached and taught a lot through Ephesians <laughs> through the years. I still wrestle with living by the grace of God, fueled by the grace of God, trusting in the grace of God, instead of thinking that it's pretty well up to me. Ephesians chapter two. As for you, verse one, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at times, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, not from your performance. It's the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What do you hear in this text? What words stand out to you? The word grace. What phrases or words stand out to you in this text? Mercy. What words or phrases stand out to you? Great love. Great love. Prepared in advance. Kind of struck by the word life. Maybe a reminder that the life that I want and the life that I'm living in Christ will only come by his resources and his riches, not my own performance in my resume. Well, let's wrap this up. Time. Um, I was thinking that the other day, what's really helped? Uh, you know, we got a call one day. We were living in North Alabama, and uh, one of my siblings was about to go into a drug treatment center, and he, li he lived in Dallas, he and his spouse. And so we were going to go to Dallas and kind of be a part of that. And um, 
I had this sense that, that our, our family, my extended family was just spinning out of control. If you don't relate to that, I'm sorry, but some of us have been there maybe. If, you, if you've done this with your kids or some member of your family. And I, I remember thinking, um, boy, it is really important, number one, in navigating my own life in this world that I focus on God's powerful healing grace. If I don't focus on that, what, what are we liable to focus on? So. I'm liable to focus on myself and maybe either my capacity to deal with this or, my, or, the, or, or I, I, I'm, I can't deal with this. What else am I liable to focus on if I don't focus on God's powerful healing grace, the, the mess itself, the person that caused it all. And some of these messes, they'll scare, the, they'll scare you, right? You've been, been some on these, yeah. If you've lost your job, if you've experienced, as we had, we, we experienced a daughter go through a divorce, went to a Christian university, married this, I mean, nothing we ever experienced, nothing we ever planned, you know. We were moving here, my dad dies suddenly. I mean, all of that has this, it, it can quickly give me this sense, Beth, of man, things are just flipping upside down pretty quick and I'm not sure what I'm gonna do. And to be reminded, I need to, I need to focus on God's riches. God's grace, God's powerful healing grace. If I focus on me, that's a dead end street. If I focus on the mess, uh, that's pretty well a dead end street. Look at number two, look for evidence of God's grace instead of focusing on your performance. Evidence of God's grace. Um, I found that you ha I have to be pretty intentional about doing this when I'm in the middle of something that feels like a mess or a crisis. Evidence of God's grace. What could that look like? What, what could evidence of God's grace look like in, in? Good friends. Good friends. That's excellent. Good friends. Good friends. And maybe the way good friends are responding. Yeah. What else? Evidence of God's grace. Sudden relief, yeah. yeah. Just little moments where you you hear yourself through your through your through your lips, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, this is what I found this helpful. That when things are very difficult and hard, if I can. If I can be praying, Lord, help me to see where your grace is today, just today. Help me to see this. Because if I start focusing on me and how I'm doing, how I'm feeling, ain't it awful, and I, I'm so mad, all that, that's, that's a, and if, if I'm just focused on, as Beth said a while ago, the mess or who caused the mess, that's a dead end straight. But if I could look for evidence of God's grace, and then here's number three. I want to trust that his grace will give you or give me 
the grit I need to live. I don't have enough grit in and of myself. Men try to do it, don't we, Reggie? We stand in front of the mirror and we grunt and flex and all that. I, I think I can handle it. Every, you know, some, you know, you're carrying around all these bricks. You okay? Oh, I'm fine. Just, just everything, we're fine. Everything's good. It's all good. You know, the truth is, uh, I was never in, we were never created to manufacture the grit we need to get through life. The grit we need comes from the grace of God, right? There's plenty of talk about good works and obedience and what we do in, in, in Ephesians and the text we'll read in a moment in Titus, but not, it's not talked about out of the context of God's riches. In order to have the grit I need to get through the today, I'm going to have to trust in his grace for today, in his goodness for today, in his riches for today. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I guess in this class of Christian folks, when I'm looking at, when I'm using the word grace, and, and tonight I have in mind the, the text I'm about to read in Titus and the text in Ephesians 2, that it is, it is, God's grace is what is a way to express salvation, but much more. It, God's grace is the capacity that I have to obey and to do good and to live holy, a holy life, to do the submission that he talks about later on in the book of Ephesians. Titus 2. Uh, just verse, verse 11 and following as Paul reminds us uh, of the source of our salvation. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives for this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for, for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you. Um, before this plan completely lands, uh, one of the things I learned a long time ago um, on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning is that the, the, just the number of people who carry around a lot of uh, stuff, and whether it's your grandchildren or your children or your sister you're so concerned about or your brother or that knot-headed second cousin or whoever it is, um, the, I, I realize sometimes you and I are doing good just to be here. 
And if I could just say anything over to wrap up these last four weeks, the good news of the gospel is that what looks absolutely like a mess, what looks like you look at some, some families and you think, man, where do you even begin to deal with this mess? God does not give up on broken creation and is calling us home and is calling us through the power of the gospel to healing and reconciliation and wholeness again. Um, I don't know how your thing ends up. I don't know what happens to your daughter. I don't know what happens to my uh, sibling. I don't know what happens to this one or that one, but I do know one thing. We are not called to give up, but neither are we called to somehow figure this out ourselves. The power is in the gospel and it was, and it is, and it will be. And that's good news for us all who uh, desperately need the gospel as much as anybody, right? <laughs> Could we pray for just a moment and we're done on, on time. Let's pray together. Father, just the, just the reading, just breezing through this little story of Jephthah for a few moments uh, is, a, is a reminder uh, that these are not just stories long ago and far away, but that there are people who live in houses like ours and apartments down the street. And here in Memphis and across the U.S. where it's just messy, in our own wisdom, in our own performance, oh Lord, uh, we're, we're just at a loss sometimes for what to do. But our hope, oh Lord, is in you and what you've done through Jesus. May we be a congregation, Father, that is about your mission. And may that begin with all of us individually and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.